What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress, a collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The natural hybrid is made from natural latex, natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep and supports. Go to lisa.com forward slash nancy to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash nancy. If you have heard about the murder of Jessica Chambers, do not miss the new docuseries on Oxygen. It's the true story of a teen girl, a cheerleader in Mississippi, who is burned alive. And the story of the man accused of this heinous crime is it the right guy on trial? Who is he? And who is Jessica Chambers? And how does such a horrific crime occur? With more questions than answers, this is a case that has captured national headlines, taken over social media, and leaves a small town divided. This is a must-see TV event. It features exclusive interviews that take you inside the investigation as the search for answers and justice goes on. Unspeakable Crime, The Killing of Jessica Chambers, Saturdays at 7, 6 Central on Oxygen, the new network for crime. Crime Online News Update. I'm Alan Duke. Just ahead, another hour of crime stories with Nancy Grace. In this hour, Nancy looks at the search for missing six-year-old Maddox Rich in North Carolina and the Senate testimony of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who accuses Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh of sexual assault. First, let's hear a crucial segment of what Dr. Ford told the senators. 
there were four boys I remember specifically being at the house. Brett Kavanaugh, Mark Judge, a boy named PJ, and one other boy whose name I cannot recall. I also remember my friend Leland attending. I do not remember all of the details of how that gathering came together, but like many that summer, it was almost surely a spur-of-the-moment gathering. I truly wish I could be more helpful with more detailed answers to all of the questions that have and will be asked about how I got to the party and where it took place and so forth. I don't have all the answers, and I don't remember as much as I would like to. But the details that about that night that bring me here today are the ones I will never forget. They have been seared into my memory and have haunted me episodically as an adult. When I got to the small gathering, people were drinking beer in a small living room, family room type area on the first floor of the house. I drank one beer. Brett and Mark were visibly drunk. Early in the evening, I went up a very narrow set of stairs leading from the living room to a second floor to use the restroom. When I got to the top of the stairs, I was pushed from behind into a bedroom across from the bathroom. I couldn't see who pushed me. Brett and Mark came into the bedroom and locked the door behind them. There was music playing in the bedroom. It was turned up louder by either Brett or Mark once we were in the room. I was pushed onto the bed and Brett got on top of me. He began running his hands over my body and grinding into me. I yelled, hoping that someone downstairs might hear me. And I tried to get away from him, but his weight was heavy. Brett groped me and tried to take off my clothes. He had a hard time because he was very inebriated and because I was wearing a one-piece bathing suit underneath my clothing. I believed he was going to rape me. I tried to yell for help. When I did, Brett put his hand over my mouth to stop me from yelling. This is what terrified me the most and has had the most lasting impact on my life. It was hard for me to breathe and I thought that Brett was accidentally going to kill me. Both Brett and Mark were drunkenly laughing during the attack. They seemed to be having a very good time. Mark seemed ambivalent, at times urging Brett on, and at times telling him to stop. A couple of times I made eye contact with Mark and thought he might try to help me, but he did not. During this assault, Mark came over and jumped on the bed twice while Brett was on top of me. And the last time that he did this, we toppled over and Brett was no longer on top of me. I was able to get up and run out of the room. Directly across from the bedroom was a small bathroom. I ran inside the bathroom and locked the door. I waited until I heard Brett and Mark leave the bedroom, laughing and loudly walk down the narrow stairway, pinballing off the walls on the way down. I waited, and when I did not hear them come back up the stairs, I left the bathroom, went down the same stairwell, through the living room, and left the house. I remember being on the street and feeling an enormous sense of relief that I had escaped that house and that Brett and Mark were not coming outside after me. Brett's assault on me drastically altered my life, 
for a very long time, I was too afraid and ashamed to tell anyone these details. I did not want to tell my parents that I, at age 15, was in a house without any parents present, drinking beer with boys. I convinced myself that because Brett did not rape me, I should just move on and just pretend that it didn't happen. Over the years, I told very, very few friends that I had this traumatic experience. I told my husband before we were married that I had experienced a sexual assault. I had never told the details to anyone, the specific details, until May 2012 during a couple's counseling session. The reason this came up in counseling is that my husband and I had completed a very extensive, very long remodel of our home, and I insisted on a second front door, an idea that he and others disagreed with and could not understand. In explaining why I wanted a second front door, I began to describe the assault in detail. I recall saying that the boy who assaulted me could someday be on the U.S. Supreme Court and spoke a bit about his background at an elitist all-boys school in Bethesda, Maryland. My husband recalls that I named my attacker as Brett Kavanaugh. Nancy discusses the Brett Kavanaugh case in the second half of this hour on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. It's been torture. I'm not eating, not sleeping. I'm just worried about getting my little boy back. Appearing with police this afternoon at a news conference was Ian Rich. He hasn't seen his six-year-old son Maddox since Saturday. That's when Ian and his girlfriend took Maddox, who has autism and does not speak, to a local park where there is a track in the lake. A jogger passed by, and as he was jogging past us, that's when Maddox started to jog out behind him. So I usually just give him a little space and let him do his thing, and once we got so far, he took off from me running, and I just never could catch up with him. You're a grown man. He's a little boy. How did he outrun you? He, he can run. He can run. Okay. And I, I couldn't keep up with him. Not that fast. You are hearing our friends at CBS News. That's David now interviewing Ian Rich, the father now desperate who loses track of his nonverbal autistic son there in Gastonia, North Carolina, a huge park. He says he's overwhelmed with guilt as the search for the six-year-old little boy Maddox goes on. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. We are bringing you the very latest, not only in the search for little Maddox, but the start of the hearings in D.C. for the next U.S. Supreme Court justice. A battle rages there as well, but right now to the search for Maddox. To Kathleen Murphy joining us there in North Carolina. Kathleen, what's happening? There are so many questions. So I went back and looked at all of the uh reports and I pulled up an online satellite view of this park and I'm at a loss that this child's not been found and who is the person that was with this father why haven't we heard from them are the parents separated or in divorce because in all of the conversations I hear from those parents it's never we miss Maddox it's always I miss Maddox and I, I just don't think there's a lot of information out there about what's really going on. 
Joining me also, Dr. Brian Russell, lawyer, psychologist, host of Investigation Discovery's Fatal Vows, pathologist and medical examiner. Dr. Michelle Dupree, Dr. Michelle recently publishing a book regarding a field guide to homicide. Vincent Hill with me, cop turned private investigator, and of course Kathleen Murphy, North Carolina lawyer, also with me, Jackie Howard, and Alan Duke. To Dr. Brian Russell, I, I, I don't feel that it's right to try and decipher what the parents are saying as to the state of their relationship as they're looking for their little boy. Although Kathleen does have a point, um, now that she mentions it, I think she's right. Weigh in, Dr. Brian. Well, yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying because priority one is to find the child and get the child back safely if that's at all possible. However, any kind of discord between the parents is relevant to the extent that in some cases that becomes a motive for parental involvement in these kinds of things. Well, you're right. You're right. As much as it's a bitter pill, I don't like to hear it. You're right, Dr. Russell, and you're right too, Kathleen. Um, joining me, Dr. Michelle Dupree and Vincent Hill, Alan Duke, Jackie Howard too, Dr. Michelle Dupree, pathologist and medical examiner and author. Maddox has been missing since Saturday afternoon. That's six days. What does that mean? Nancy, it means that he's going to be extremely dehydrated. People can live without food for a much longer time than they can water, and a child on its own, especially a child with autism um, that may have difficulty, this, this is going to be extremely dangerous. Dehydration is a killer. What happens after six days without water? What do you mean dehydration is so dangerous? Because of lack of water, you don't get enough substance to the cells. Your brain will tend to swell. Swelling will cause you to pass out. When you pass out, um, again, if, you're not, um, if you don't receive water, um, and other medical attention, then the person could actually perish. Amidst the backdrop of question after question, take a listen to Maddox's mother. I just want to thank each and every person who has reached out to me about Maddox wanting to help find him. I would appreciate it if you were at the park Saturday and saw Maddox. So please, urgently, please call the tip line, please. Continue praying for him because I just want my baby home, please. Whatever you can do. Maddox is my whole world and my reason for living. He's mama's boy. Maddox loves the park. He loves bouncy balls and he loves his teddy bear. His smile is so contagious and his laughter is so precious. If you think that you have seen Maddox, please reach out to police. Thank you all for your love and support. And I just want to say, I want my baby back in my arms. Take a listen to this 911 call. You said for 30 to 40 minutes? It's been almost, almost an hour now. We've searched everywhere. Where was the last place they seen him at in the park? They seen him right by the, um, the, the pier and the set of trees. The 911 person says that the father was totally out of breath. To Vincent Hill, cop term private eye, what does that say to you? Well, Nancy, it would appear that either he was running after Maddox, like he said, or 
you know, just scrambling around in this huge park to try to find his son. But what's interesting with this 911 caller, Rick Fox, he did tell WSOC TV Channel 9 that he really, uh, Ian really didn't seem to be too concerned as he would be if he had a missing child. He didn't seem like he was overly concerned that Maddox was even missing at that time. And that's very telling, Nancy. And not only that, I'm sure there was more than one jogger in that park. You would assume these joggers would be coming forward saying, yes, I was in the park. I saw this kid. I want you to reflect on on what you're saying, Vincent Hill, and what you have heard and what it means. If anything, you're referring to a, a TV interview by who, to whom, about what? I want to be very specific about what you heard. So Rick Fox, the the employee of the park who called 911, he told WSOC-TV, Channel 9, there in, I believe, Gastonia, that Ian did not seem overly concerned. He didn't seem too stressed out as he would be if he had a missing child. So he was kind of suggesting that maybe Ian, Ian wasn't concerned that Maddox was missing at all. And that's, that's very telling for this man to say this, who called 911. And you have to question as well, why didn't Ian at some point called 911 40 minutes into this. He didn't act like a concerned parent, like like I would act or any concerned parent would act. The mother was really frantic and she was she was like hysterical. And um, she got out of the car and you know, of course, I know one of the sheriffs had to kind of calm her. Okay, that is the sound that Vincent Hill is referring to. And this guy says he, his name is Rick Fox, and he is the one that you heard on the 911 call that afternoon after the parks office alerts 911 that the boy is missing. He said the dad, Ian, approached him. He says, quote, he can't stop thinking about that day. The dad approached me and said he lost his kid. I said, when was the last time you saw him? He said that they were coming around the track and Maddox got away from him. The dad says, I'd say he's been gone almost an hour. We've searched everywhere. It goes on, and he says the mom is frantic and hysterical. She got out of the car, and one of the sheriff's deputies had to go calm her down. As to the dad, quote, he did not act like a concerned parent, like I would act, or any concerned parent would act. Okay, that's the very first time I've been on the dad's side from the get-go. But Kathleen Murphy, I've, I've got to be realistic and look at this objectively. That was the first impression of someone on the scene, Kathleen. There are so many questions, and I want to go back to this third party, because if the child was never at the park and was murdered by somebody before that, who is this third party? Why hasn't that person spoken out? And the behaviors of this father, I saw his interview on the news station, and there was something that concerned me about it, so that I went on and did a satellite view of this park. There's a police firing range near this park. There's a Wendy's restaurant near this park. There are so many places where this child would have been seen, yet nobody reports seeing this child. If you have heard about the murder of Jessica Chambers, do not miss the new docuseries on Oxygen. It's the true story of a teen girl, a cheerleader in Mississippi, who is burned alive. And the story of the man accused of this heinous crime. 
Is it the right guy on trial? Who is he? And who is Jessica Chambers? And how does such a horrific crime occur? With more questions than answers, this is a case that has captured national headlines, taken over social media, and leaves a small town divided. This is a must-see TV event. It features exclusive interviews that take you inside the investigation as the search for answers and justice goes on. Unspeakable Crime, The Killing of Jessica Chambers, Saturdays at 7, 6 Central on Oxygen, the new network for crime. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. How far away was he from you? He, was, he, he initially took off just a little ways, maybe 25, 30 feet from me, and then he went to a major sprint after that, and that's whenever I took off running after him. I was giving him just a little leeway, freedom. He likes playing outside. He enjoys the outdoors, so I just wanted him to have fun. How long before you began to worry? I started worrying once I got back and didn't see him anymore. And once I got to where the office is, you can see that there's the parking lot right there and you can still go around the lake. So once I could not see him anymore, that's when I got scared. Does he have a history of running away? Does he have a history of wandering? He usually runs, but he'll slow down or, or stop to give me a chance to go pick him up. That was our very first time of ever going there. That is the father speaking in the last hours at a news conference. Joining us right now, we are taking your calls, 909-49-CRIME. Heather in Baton Rouge. Hi, Heather. What's your question, dear? Hi. Um, I actually, I've heard you guys asking who is the pers- the other person, the third party that was with him. I actually watched a report from CBS last night, guy named David, I don't know how to say his last name, Bagnod. Or something, and he said that the third party was the father's girlfriend of two months. Okay, stay right there, Heather. Stay right there. Dr. Brian Russell, that has been my suspicion that it was a girlfriend, and I'll tell you why. Because the friend remained unnamed and never came forward to, to state what happened. Well, it sounds totally plausible. I didn't hear that report on CBS, so I, I can't comment on the accuracy of the reporting, but it sounds I think your theory makes sense. What, if anything, does that mean to the scenario, Dr. Russell? Well, I, I don't know that it means anything necessarily, but it certainly does uh, it, it does add another dimension to the story, and it adds uh, all kinds of suspicions then running through my mind. Not suspicions. It runs all ki- kinds of theories through my mind about how potential discord between the parents could in some cases, not necessarily this one, end up being a motivator of parental involvement in the the child going missing. According to the father, he has taken two polygraph tests and passed, but the FBI is not confirming. Now, police say that they want to talk to the person who was seen wearing camouflage hat and taking a silver kayak out of the lake at the time he went missing. The lake is still being drained. To Dr. Michelle Dupree, if Maddox has wandered into that lake, is there going to be any way to determine cause of death? Yes, Nancy, there very well may be. Of course, if it's a case of drowning, we can certainly determine that. If there are other signs of abuse, say blunt trauma or anything else, we will likely be able to tell that through an autopsy. 
And when you say trauma, how could you tell that if a body has been submerged for hours or days even? There will be um, signs of that on the body, physical signs. For example, bruises. Water does not cover up bruises. Um, that's blood in the um, tissue surrounding the injury. Um, any kind of fractures will certainly be able to determine any kind of um, blunt force trauma. Any of that, we should still be able to determine from an autopsy. You know, to Nashville PD turned private investigator Vincent Hill, we've been studying the aerial map along with Kathleen Murphy. What she is saying, if you look at the overhead, she's right. There are all these establishments right around the park. What does that mean? Interpret that for me in terms, Vincent Hill, of finding the boy. Well, Nancy, she's absolutely right. I mean, quite frankly, someone should have seen little Maddox. And the, the biggest problem I have with this scenario, Nancy, is Ian says he was 20 to 25 feet ahead of him. Then he took off in a full sprint. But looking at the aerial footage, there's really no area where he would have lost sight of little Maddox. And he never once said, I lost sight of him at this park that he went to for the very, very first time. And then his son goes missing at this park. But in, in theory, if, even if he takes off in a full sprint, he still should have had visual on his son. I mean, Ian, he looks like he's in pretty good shape. He's not 600 pounds and he can't run. So I don't understand that. Well, now in just the last hour, the 911 caller is now saying he doesn't believe the six-year-old boy was ever even at the park when he went missing. That's a, a, a very, very serious allegation. Police have released that 911 call made nearly an hour after little Maddox goes missing. It is a guy named Rick Fox who works there at Rankin Lake Park who made the 911 call, and he is now saying he doesn't believe the boy was ever there. He says... Quote, it didn't look as though they were that concerned of the boy's father and girlfriend who was with him at the park. He goes on to say, quote, I've worked there almost three years. We see everybody come in and out of that park pretty much. I did not see that kid one time. What does this mean? What, if anything, does it mean? To Kathleen Murphy, North Carolina, joining us on the scene, what does it mean, Kathleen? It means it's another case of Mariah Woods. Mariah Woods went missing out of her home in the middle of the night, and the father was eventually, or the boyfriend, was eventually charged with her murder. And that's what I believe, because I'm looking, and I agree with you, Vincent, There, there's no way that this child was out of visual sight from his father. Okay, no wait way. a minute, right there, and right I there, hold on. I've taken my twins hiking in the woods many, many times. A little known fact, over the summer in college, I made my living as a hike master. I take them on hikes religiously. They will get far, they will get ahead of me, not far, but they will get ahead of me. They'll turn a bend, and when that happens, I take off running. And I, I hate to tell well, them, slow only... down, slow down, slow down. When they're having fun, I take off after them. And for those few moments, it's scary. I'm they're having a hard time understanding how he got away that fast, too, Kathleen. Yeah, there's no, there's, there's, there's no very few bends around this lake. He says he was right across the lake from the pier. If you look at the satellite view of the lake across from the pier, it's a long, long, long road with no bends. And I'm going to tell you what, if I have a six-year-old autistic child, a flash of my eyes, and if I can't see my child in that period of time, Hell's going to break loose. 
Well, Dr. Brian Russell, you know what happened to me. It happened to me inside a big Babies R Us superstore when I was looking. Jackie's laughing here in the studio because she's heard it. It makes me almost, it almost makes me nauseous, Dr. Brian. I was squatting down on the very bottom shelf, on the floor practically, looking for organic suntan lotion. Don't even bother to ask why. It's a long story. I had John, Dave, and Lucy with me. They were only mm, two and a half maybe at the time, and they were wearing those little Crocs that are silent. And Hmm. I stood up after not finding anything irritated. I turned around. There's Lucy just staring at me, and John David's gone. Just like Adam Walsh, I nearly had a heart attack. I grabbed Lucy like a football quarterback under my arm and took off running, screaming. And, of course, we found him. He had just wandered off like three miles, three aisles away. And it was that fast. It was that fast. I want to defend the father, but my main concern here at Dr. Brian Russell is finding the child. Yeah, and I think that reaction that you had is uh, the normal reaction that we would expect from any parent in that situation. And it is interesting that this employee of the park is saying that there was no sign of that kind of concern, that level of concern coming out of the father. I know that a lot of times... You hear psychologists say, uh, well, you know, uh, everybody reacts differently to things and you can't really read anything into somebody's reaction just because it's not yours. Yeah, you can sometimes. Tip line in the search for Maddox, 704-869-1075. 704-869-1075. And now to Washington. You have categorically denied that this happened. Did anything happen? No, I've never sexually assaulted anyone, not in high school, not ever. Uh, I've always treated women with dignity and respect. Uh, Listen to the people who've known me best through my whole life, the women who've known me since high school, the 65 who overnight signed a letter from high school saying I always treated them with dignity and respect. You are hearing the sound of potential Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. The battle starting now, officially, although it's been being waged for weeks on end, with one woman claiming she and her family have now had to move to a safe house after she emerges with claims this Supreme Court Justice nominee sexually assaulted her in high school. Opening statements now. Joining me right now, Sean Walsh, DailyMail.com. Sean, she has provided a written statement ahead of time about what she plans to say generally. What do you think, Sean? Nancy, this is going to be one of those days that goes down in history. The world will be watching as the testimony, dueling testimony occurs today. And in that statement, she provides in vivid detail her recollection of the night she alleges Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her at a high school party. Now, let me talk about what she is alleging. She is not alleging a rape. She is uh, had been, She was a teenager. She had been swimming almost every day at uh, a community pool. And she went to an all-girls school, and they would get together with the all-boys schools, various schools in the area. And this was an impromptu, hey, let's go over to this house after swimming. And a group of teens went there. There were no parents. Everyone was drinking. She had one beer, according to her. And I'm talking about Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. This is what I've learned about her. You know what? I'll let you talk about it, Sean. 
What do we know about her background? We know quite a bit about her background. I mean, this is a woman who it seemed at first was kind of reluctant to reveal herself publicly, but now she said she will, and she's doing that today. Uh, she seemed like a studious girl who knew Brett Kavanaugh after going to a party with him. And I can get into those details of the party, Nancy, if you'd like, of what she said. Well, hold on, hold on. Yes, I do want that. But, Sean, you know what? I appreciate you being um, a crack reporter and the force behind Daily Mail TV. I really do. But could you please be responsive to my question? Your Honor, direct a response. Okay, that's what I typically do in court, but I'll go easy on you. I'm talking about her. This is what I know. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sean Walsh. You just can't wait to jump into the sex assault allegation. I understand she grew up in the suburbs of D.C. She went to Holton Arms School in Bethesda from 80 to 84. It's an all-girls school. Um, that started way back in 1901. The girls there would become friendly with boys from the all-boys school, the Landon School, Georgetown Prep, Gonzaga High School. A lot of places our family could never afford, and I think you're with me on that. But in, in long story short, that's how they met on that, you know, teen circuit. So that year, um, her freshman and sophomore years, 14, 15, she intersected with Brett and his friends for a short period of time. And it leads him up to the Maryland swimming pool party one day. Now, that summer day, after swimming, she goes to a gathering at a home in Chevy Chase. It's the Bethesda area. There were four boys she remembers being there. Brett Kavanaugh, Mark Judge, P.J. Smith, and another boy whose name she doesn't recall. That's how that evening started. But what I want to talk about is who she is. This woman is no idiot. Now, does that matter? In the big scheme, no. But what I'm saying is she can't hold down the position she has with being a complete fly-by-night, all right? Um, It's Christine Blasey Ford, a professor of psychology at Palo Alto University, a research psychologist at Stanford University of Medicine, undergrad, University of North Carolina, degree in experimental psychology, master's degree in 91, clinical psychology at Pepperdine, then a Ph.D. in educational psychology, University of Southern California, master's degree in epidemiology at Stanford University School of Medicine. She's been married to one man since 2002, and they have two children. Before I go to Sean Walsh about the attack, the alleged attack, Dr. Michelle Dupree, what does that mean that you have your Ph.D. in epidemiology? What is that? Nancy, epidemiology is really um, statistics. It tells us um, where we can find that diseases began. It's more of a community public health um, type of degree. It's very intensive. Um, it has a lot of statistics in it and requires a lot of work. Epidemiology, you know, for some reason, many people believe that that is a branch of a uh, study of medicine. But you're saying it deals with statistically analyzing epidemics, medical epidemics. Is that right? That's right. It does. Um, like Ebola or the plague. That's what we're talking about. Okay, I got it. Or food poisoning. Where did that food poisoning outbreak occur? Okay. All right. You just clarified a lot for me and trying to understand who this woman is. Very analytical background. Okay. Sean Walsh, DailyMail.com, DailyMail TV. Yes, you're a superstar. You're not the star today, Sean. I hate to break it to you. She is. And there was a mysterious note placed in front of her seat where she is testifying in front of a Senate Judiciary Committee that says, good luck, Dr. Ford. Okay. Now, how did the attack, the alleged attack, go down? Because she was wearing a one-piece swimsuit underneath shorts and a shirt. How did it happen? 
Okay, so let me take you through it. Um, you've named all of the people that say they were there, and she also says that a friend by the name of Leyland Ingham was attending as well. She's very clear on saying that she does not remember all of the details of how the gathering came together, but like many that summer, it was one of those spur-of-the-moment things that, that happened, and we all remember when we were kids, a party would happen, you'd turn up. She says that she wishes she could provide more details to all of those questions about how she got to the party where it took place, but she just doesn't have those answers. Well, hold on. Let me call you just right there, Dr. Brian Russell. That is not my high school experience that's neither here nor there but she the significance and i'll backtrack to sean dr brian is that the reason she says she didn't come forward to start with is she didn't want her parents to know she went to a party without telling them unsupervised and there was beer there which i can tell you many children in america or around the world have done the very same thing sean walsh you are not dr brian russell hold on a moment dr brian russell jump in before sean starts again please this uh, spectacle that you're seeing today is the reason why if you didn't know in high school or middle school why you were assigned to read arthur miller's the crucible the play the crucible this is the reason and you should go back and read it now in this context if an accuser chooses to keep quiet for years and years that's fine that's their prerogative uh, although i have to note that that does uh, if, if the accuser believes their story uh, that does leave a perpetrator uh, at least they someone they believe is a perpetrator out there running around potentially able to victimize other people but if they want to keep that uh, if they want to keep quiet about that, the law allows them to do that. But at some point, for most alleged wrongdoings, it becomes unreasonable to expect the society to, A, sort out what happened with enough certainty to effectuate any justice, and therefore unreasonable for society to even entertain the allegation. And I think that's where we are on this. And if I were on that committee today, uh, with all of the various inconsistencies and hole that there are more holes and I could drive my big SUV through the holes in this story. My question would be, uh, ma'am, thank you for coming here today. If anything you've said here today can be proven false, do you agree that you should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law for perjury? Well, actually, Sean Walsh, uh, DailyMail.com, she has mentioned the incident over the years. And I'm still circling back to you, Sean. Believe it or not, I'm sorry I interrupted, but she did tell when they were building her house, she insisted on a double front door, two front doors so people could get out. And she told her husband about it then when they first built their house. Over the years, she has told select people about it, not always mentioning his name. But again, um, I've misdirected. Sean, back to the actual incident. What does she say happened? Sure, Nancy. Um, you're correct. And I think one thing we should also point out is that her parents were uh, Bush conservatives. So she didn't come from a family of Democrats, like people think. Uh, it's been reported that her parents were Bush conservatives back in the era. So uh, there's a bit of that because this is a very much a, a partisan this is very much a partisan day. And regardless of where you sit on the political spectrum, there's always going to be a shadow of a doubt of accusations that are made during this period because of someone who has been vetted very much over their career, as Kavanaugh has. And so it is worth noting she does come from a family of conservatives. Well, Sean Waltz, once again, I've asked you what happened, and somehow you've managed to do a deep dive in family politics. What I want to know are what are the facts? To Sean Walsh, DailyMail.com, the hearing is happening now. I want to go finally go through 
the facts. Go ahead, Sean. Okay, so um, she says that when she got to the small gathering, people were drinking beer in a small living room on the first floor of the house. She says that she drank one beer that evening and that Brett and Mark, two of the people there, uh, were visibly drunk. Early in the evening, she had gone up a narrow set of stairs leading from the living room to a second floor to use the bathroom. When she got to the top of the stairs, she claims she was pushed from behind into a bedroom. She couldn't see who pushed her, but Brett and Mark allegedly came into the bedroom and locked the door behind them. Uh, she says there was music playing in the bedroom. It was turned up louder, but she doesn't know who turned up the uh, music once Brett and Mark were in the room. She says she was pushed onto the bed and Brett got on top of her. Uh, she alleges that he began running his hands over her body and grinding his hips on top on her. Uh, she says she yelled, hoping that someone downstairs might hear her, and she tried to get away from him. But she says that his weight was heavy. Uh, he groped her and tried to take off her clothes, she alleges. Uh, she said he had a hard time because, she was, because he was so drunk and because she was wearing a one-piece bathing suit under her clothing. She believed that he was going to rape her. She said she tried to yell for help. When she did, she claims that he put his hand over her mouth to, top, to stop her from screaming. Uh, she says this is what terrified her the most and that she had the, and this had the most lasting impact on her life. She claims it was difficult for her to breathe and that she thought Brett was accidentally going to kill her. She said both Brett and Mark were drunkenly laughing during the attack that she is alleging. She also says that both seemed to be having a good time. Mark was urging Brett on, and at times he told Brett to stop. She said a couple of times she made eye contact with Mark and thought he might try and help her, but she claims he did not. She said during this assault, Mark came over and jumped on the bed twice while Brett was on top of her. The last time he did this, they toppled over and Brett was no longer on top of her. She says that she was then able to get up and run out of the room. Directly across from the bedroom was a small bathroom. She says that she ran inside and locked the door. She heard Brett and Mark leave the bedroom laughing and loudly walking down the narrow stairs, pinballing off the walls on the way down. She says she waited, and when she did not hear from them, she came back up the stairs. She left the bedroom, ran down the stairs, through the living room, and left the house. She says she remembers being on the street and feeling an enormous sense of relief that she had escaped from the house and that Brett and Mark were not coming after her. She says that the assault drastically altered her life. She said for a very long time she was too afraid and too ashamed to tell anyone on the details. She said she did not want to tell her parents that at the age of 15, I was in a house without any parents present drinking beer with boys. She tried to convince herself that because Brett did not rape her, she should be able to move on and just pretend that it did not happen. She said over the years, she told very few friends that she had had this traumatic experience. You know, according to Dr. Ford, she told her husband before they were married that she had been sex assaulted and did not tell the details during until May 2012 at a couple's counseling session and it came up because they had done this extensive remodel on their home and she was insisting on that second front door. Sean Walsh, uh, DailyMail.com and Daily Mail TV explained why a second door to the remodeling of the home was so so critical. Uh, she said that she wanted to have a second front door because the boy that assaulted her, that she alleges assaulted her, could one day be on the Supreme Court and she wanted extra safety in her house. The husband 
recalls that at that time, which was May 2012, she named her attacker as Brett Kavanaugh. Sean Walsh, uh, part uh, I, I'm torn on this, and I'll tell you why, because I want the truth. And I don't care if she's telling the truth or not telling the truth. I just want to know the truth. He Does he have any other incidents like this in his background? I want to know that. Because what I know about her is that she has none. And as a matter of fact, I know that this has been a great personal sacrifice to her. Uh, Sean Walsh, DailyMail.com. Of course, she tried to keep her identity secret, but it wasn't long before it leaked out. And what has happened since then in the last couple of weeks? There are now uh, two new accusers that have come forward with allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. And um, their stories are both detailed, as you know, Nancy. And uh, they're also being uh, heavily vetted by people like DailyMail.com. I mean, we have extensive reporting today about uh, the uh, the new accuser that came forward overnight. So, Nancy, there is a lot of other information coming through. And I- what I'm saying is she's had to come. She came forward and now she's being attacked and maligned online. And the family had to move out of the house. She's got two kids. Exactly. She says that she's now in a safe house because of this. I mean, so, I mean, when you're making accusations like this, that I mean, if we go back just to, she says in a May 2012 therapy session, uh, she, she had done her best to suppress the memories of the assault before recounting the details caused to her. And she said, uh, reliving the experience would cause panic attacks and anxiety. And she says occasionally she would discuss the assault in individual therapy, but talking about it caused her to relive the trauma so she tried not to think about it or discuss it but she says over the years she went through periods where she thought about breast attack and she confided in some close friends um, about the experience Uh, occasionally she'd say that the assailant was a prominent lawyer or judge but she would not use his name Uh, she says she doesn't recall each person she spoke to about breast assault and that some friends have reminded her of these conversations since the Washington Post broke the story on September 16 but she says but until July 2018 she had never named Mr. Kavanaugh as her attacker outside of therapy, but she says this all changed in July 2018. She saw the press report stating that Brett Kavanaugh was on the short list of potential Supreme Court nominees, so she then felt it was her civic duty to relay the information she had about Mr. Kavanaugh's conduct to those uh, considering his potential nomination. And now, Nancy, let's listen to a crucial segment of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's opening statement to the Senate Judiciary Committee. There were four boys I remember specifically being at the house. Brett Kavanaugh, Mark Judge, a boy named PJ, and one other boy whose name I cannot recall. I also remember my friend Leland attending. I do not remember all of the details of how that gathering came together, but like many that summer, it was almost surely a spur of the moment gathering. I truly wish I could be more helpful with more detailed answers to all of the questions that have and will be asked about how I got to the party and where it took place and so forth. I don't have all the answers and I don't remember as much as I would like to. But the details that about that night that bring me here today are the ones I will never forget. They have been seared into my memory and have haunted me episodically as an adult. When I got to the small gathering, people were drinking beer in a small living room, family room type area on the first floor of the house. I drank one beer. Brett and Mark were visibly drunk. 
Early in the evening, I went up a very narrow set of stairs leading from the living room to a second floor to use the restroom. When I got to the top of the stairs, I was pushed from behind into a bedroom across from the bathroom. I couldn't see who pushed me. Brett and Mark came into the bedroom and locked the door behind them. There was music playing in the bedroom. It was turned up louder by either Brett or Mark once we were in the room. I was pushed onto the bed and Brett got on top of me. He began running his hands over my body and grinding into me. I yelled, hoping that someone downstairs might hear me, and I tried to get away from him, but his weight was heavy. Brett groped me and tried to take off my clothes. He had a hard time because he was very inebriated and because I was wearing a one-piece bathing suit underneath my clothing. I believed he was going to rape me. I tried to yell for help. When I did, Brett put his hand over my mouth to stop me from yelling. This is what terrified me the most and has had the most lasting impact on my life. It was hard for me to breathe, and I thought that Brett was accidentally going to kill me. Both Brett and Mark were drunkenly laughing during the attack. They seemed to be having a very good time. Mark seemed ambivalent, at times urging Brett on, and at times telling him to stop. A couple of times I made eye contact with Mark and thought he might try to help me, but he did not. During this assault, Mark came over and jumped on the bed twice while Brett was on top of me. And the last time that he did this, we toppled over and Brett was no longer on top of me. I was able to get up and run out of the room. Directly across from the bedroom was a small bathroom. I ran inside the bathroom and locked the door. I waited until I heard Brett and Mark leave the bedroom, laughing and loudly walk down the narrow stairway, pinballing off the walls on the way down. I waited, and when I did not hear them come back up the stairs, I left the bathroom, went down the same stairwell, through the living room, and left the house. I remember being on the street and feeling an enormous sense of relief that I had escaped that house and that Brett and Mark were not coming outside after me. Brett's assault on me drastically altered my life. For a very long time, I was too afraid and ashamed to tell anyone these details. I did not want to tell my parents that I, at age 15, was in a house without any parents present, drinking beer with boys. I convinced myself that because Brett did not rape me, I should just move on and just pretend that it didn't happen. Over the years, I told very, very few friends that I had this traumatic experience. I told my husband before we were married that I had experienced a sexual assault. I had never told the details to anyone, the specific details, until May 2012 during a couple's counseling session. The reason this came up in counseling is that my husband and I had completed a very extensive very long remodel of our home, and I insisted on a second front door 
an idea that he and others disagreed with and could not understand. In explaining why I wanted a second front door, I began to describe the assault in detail. I recall saying that the boy who assaulted me could someday be on the U.S. Supreme Court and spoke a bit about his background at an elitist all-boys school in Bethesda, Maryland. My husband recalls that I named my attacker as Brett Kavanaugh. Right now, it's all unfolding in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee as we speak. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. Big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress. Lisa's Sapira Hybrid has been named Wirecutter's best hybrid mattress five years running. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash Nancy for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash Nancy. Thanks, Lisa Mattress, for being our partner. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible, Easy Breathe. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed or do-it-yourself kits available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com. Get 20% off today. Thank you, Easy Breathe, for being our partner. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner.